values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, we have got uh, we have got Grover Norquist. We're scheduled to speak with him in just a couple of moments. Uh, Grover Norquist is the uh, president of Americans for Tax Reform. It was an organization that was founded back in 1985, and uh, it was at the request of President Reagan. It's something we've talked about quite a bit. There is an interesting uh, there is an interesting difference right now in a compare and contrast in what we are doing federally and what Arizona has been doing in other states like Florida and Texas and Nevada. And what they have been doing with their taxes. And so it's an interesting study in in, uh, in having um, which way is the best way to prosperity. So if you look at what Arizona has done and you look at what the federal government is doing, it's a great experiment. So joining us right now is Grover Norquist. Uh, Mr. Norquist, let's start with the difference between the federal government and the plans of the Build Back Better, whatever they're calling it, and tax increases, and what Arizona has been doing as far as lowering our tax rate, but it seems to have made us even more prosperous. Oh, absolutely. In Washington, D.C., the Democrats have a majority in the House and the Senate, and they have a presidency. They have all three, and they've been planning and working for the last year to dramatically increase taxes. Uh, they want to raise corporate taxes, 70% of which are paid by workers and lower wages. Uh, it's a direct hit on middle-income people. But they get a whole bunch of taxes they want to put in, and they want to spend and tax uh, 3 to $5 trillion over the next uh, decade. Uh, so far, they haven't been able to get that done, but they keep working at it. In the states, you've got eight states that have no income tax right now. Uh, and another 10 states, uh, including Arizona, that are on their way toward zero. Uh, Arizona uh, just voted, uh, the legislature voted to uh, take the rate to a single rate of 2.5%, and uh, may actually this week take it further down because of a court case, which allows them to save more money. Uh, so we could that could go down to 2.3% or so. Uh, and when so that's, Arizona moving down towards zero. North Carolina's been on that path for 10 years. Uh, their corporate income tax will be zero in six years. And they'll probably be at a zero uh, personal rate in the next six years uh, as well. I- Iowa uh, has taken their corporate rate from 10 down to about five. They're taking their individual rate down to four, uh, flat rate tax. And then their goal is to go to zero from there. Uh, this was a very aggressive uh, Kim Reynolds, governor, and the House and Senate as well. Mississippi, North Dakota, and uh, West Virginia have all voted to phase the income tax to zero in one legislative body, but not yet the other. So you can see there's this real movement at the state level to reduce taxes as a way to get the economy going after COVID. And Washington still back trying to raise taxes and spend more. Um, over the weekend, I'm sure you've seen this, uh, uh, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, uh, made two claims. One, that government spending is reducing the national debt, and the other is that government spending is not causing inflation. How do you address those two things? Uh, she has to say that because the American people want the debt down and the American people um, <laughs> would, would like inflation to go away. And she needs more spending to, to keep her political coalition happy. The Democratic Party is a collection of people who benefit financially from the government sending uh, checks or giving them certain advantages over other people. And they need more money. They need more money. That's why Democrat states keep raising taxes, even though it means 
people leave that state uh, and move to Arizona and Texas and Florida and Tennessee. Uh, so she just has to get up there and say the most outrageous things that um, raise it, you know, higher spending will reduce inflation. Of course, it's the opposite of that. But what would you have her say? I'm sorry. We're doing this on purpose. All of you will pay with the high inflation because I need to send checks to my friends. But in the past, we've seen, and it's worked in many, many times, obviously the Democrats have control of the House and Senate, where it's the idea of punish the rich, that people are not paying their fair share, whether it's corporate America or the very wealthy that are working for corporations. Um, but that's been, that seems that in practice, it doesn't work that way, that when you lower taxes, it increases revenue, into, whether it's federally or at the states. When the Reagan Trump cut, cut when the Ronald Reagan Trump cut was passed, uh, at the end of his eight years, the higher income Americans paid not just more money, but a larger percentage of total federal taxes with tax rates not at 70 percent, but 28. Okay, the Democrats go, oh, big tax cut. Well, big tax cut in the rates, but it actually brought in more resources and higher income people paid a larger share of the tax. Same thing happened with the Trump tax cuts, even with the covid uh, interruption. We've seen the highest income percentage Americans pay a higher percentage of the total tax burden than they used to. Uh, and the second year of the tax cut, in 2019, uh, the median income for a family of four grew 6.8%. That's $4,400. And it, it, every year, higher wages. What was that because of? Because we cut the corporate tax. And when corporations have more money, they can invest in making workers more productive. Then the workers either get more money from that company, or if they don't, they can go to another one. Because everybody's busy investing like crazy. And that's what the Republican tax cut did. And the Democrats claimed, it's, we're going to get rid of that. 50 times Biden said, I'm going to get rid of that tax cut. Which would mean raising taxes on middle-income Americans because, of course, corporations don't have money. Corporations sell things and earn money, uh, and they pay wages. And if you take their money away, they have less money to pay in wages. What would be the result? So what would do you believe would happen to the economy? Because now we know interest rates are going to be going up to try to stop or slow down inflation. If, if we are to see these tax increases, especially the corporate tax rate increase, what would that do to the American economy and the jobs that are now available? Uh, if Biden goes back to the tax policies of Obama, we would get the economy of Obama. That was the slowest economic recovery in the history of the country since World War II. Reagan's was the strongest. Uh, Biden and Obama's was the weakest. Uh, when we had higher corp, he wants to go back to where our corporate tax, our business tax is higher than communist China, higher than communist China, higher than France, higher than Russia. How do we compete in a world where we walk in and say, if you invest here, we'll take more of your earnings than China, but don't go to China. Yeah, that it, it, the policy is is seems to be so mixed up. If people want to learn more about Americans for tax reform, because I love going, I love the things that you put out, the studies that you do, and the information you give. That's not it's not just opinion; it's backed up by fact. How can people find you? Sure, the website is hr.org, like Americans for Tax Reform. Hr.org. Uh, I tweet at Grover Norquist, uh, and we'd love to have people. Uh, uh, join and get a sense of uh, we put out regular reports, as you say, on what's happening, what's going to happen and what we're trying to stop. 
Well, Grover, it's great to speak with you on the air, and I hope you'll come back. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. All right. uh, It's perfect. So uh, we appreciate it. Thank you. Um, That is Grover Norquist. He is with Americans for Tax Reform and a wealth of information. And uh, if you just want to see, you know, where you can get information that will back what you believe and you may disagree with them, but they give out a lot of very relevant, very good information and had a lot of great things to say about the Arizona economy and why it's going so well. And a lot of it has to do with restructuring our 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 tax base and how we do things in a moment. We're going to talk about inflation because there are fears of more shortages coming. We'll talk about what that is and why in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. If you've not subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast yet, it's very simple to do. It's easy on any device you have, and you'll never miss a minute of the show again. The Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you this week by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. Get the most money for your home, selling it for cash at highestprice.com. That's highestprice.com. So uh, we are concerned about inflation. That's obviously a big concern here in the U.S. We are also concerned about shortages. There may be a wheat shortage because of how much wheat the world gets from the region that's war-torn right now. Um, And we'll get to that in a moment. I want to talk about the American response. There was a reporter from the Washington Post this weekend, and there have been many people that have been arguing about this. There's a poll out there that says over 70 percent or about 70 percent of Americans agree with the President Biden's plan to not buy Russian oil. But then 77% of Americans are upset about him not lowering gas prices. So a Washington Post reporter called American stupid said it was an, it was uh, an example of that. It was on Twitter. But I want you to hear a couple of things. I want you to hear the president of the United States talking about these polls himself. This is very interesting. Gas prices hit an all-time high, an average of $4.33 per gallon nationally. And with war raging in Ukraine, a brand new ABC Ipsos poll shows that while most Americans support President Biden's ban on Russian oil, a staggering 70% disapprove of his handling of gas prices and inflation. So now I want you to hear what part of the issue is. The government spending. Let's start with spending. And we've talked we, we've been talking at length about their their policies of exploration and drilling here in the U.S. and expanding our ability to produce more oil. Um, you can't have it both ways from the administration. And so as no matter how they try to craft this argument, they're losing. But when they start saying that what they've done hasn't contributed to the price of gasoline. How can you say that when you made the promise that you were going to go after the oil companies? You made it more expensive. You made it harder for them to drill. You're blocking them at every turn. We've talked to one person that owns a former member of Congress that owns a drilling company that's been in this business for decades that is spelling out exactly what the administration is doing. They said that they were going to stop big oil, and they have. And as a result, gas prices were going up. What was unfair seen is what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. They didn't know this was going to happen, but this has now accelerated the problem that they started. You add on top of that the push for this build a, a better America instead of build back better. I guess it's build a Mer- better America now, whatever they're calling this bill. 
It is going to raise taxes on corporations. It's going to raise taxes on wealthy individuals. And on top of all of that, it is going to spend more money, and they say that it's not adding to the deficit. I want you to hear the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, explaining the government spending is not inflationary. So when we're having this discussion, it's important to dispel some of those who say, well, it's the government spending. No, it isn't. The government spending is doing the exact reverse, reducing the national debt. It is not inflationary. All right, I want you to wrap your arms around that. I I want you to wrap your arms around that. The Speaker of the House says that government spending is reducing the deficit. Now, there are a lot of ways you can do math to get a result that you like. Um, we do it with unemployment. We do it with a lot of different things. So if, uh, I'll give you an example. The government does this all the time. They have a budget in place that is going to increase spending over the next five years. So every year there's a little bit more spending. They haven't spent it yet. It's just what will be in the budget next year. And then they realize, well, wait a minute, we're running out of money. So we're going to cut and we're not going to increase spending. They call that a cut. Now, you haven't spent the money yet, but they call that a cut. They do that to say we're slashing spending. No, you're not. You are slashing prospective spending. So that would be like saying that um, we were going to spend, uh, we were going to give employees a bonus. But because of COVID-19, we weren't able to give a bonus. Would you consider that a pay cut? No, you just didn't get the bonus. But this is the way this information works. We just talked to Grover Norquist about this, and he's with Americans for Tax Reform. And the reason why I had Grover on is I I just think that they are such a wealth of information. They've been tracking taxes in the country since 1985. He started this organization in 1985. And we all want what's best. And this is, for me, it's not Republican-Democrat. The old school ways of saying things and doing things just don't apply to so many people anymore because people have walked away from political parties. The alliance is with the American people with their own wallets, but not so much with political parties. The old tired argument of punish the rich seems to be falling by the wayside. People aren't interested in punishing the rich as much as they are making sure that they are cared for and they can care for their families. So we're watching inflation go through the roof and you still see and this is because this is the rock in a hard place. The federal government is is right now. The Democrats control the House. The Democrats control the Senate. The Democrats control the White House. They have an agenda that moderate Democrats can't get behind because this is a midterm election. And in this midterm election, if they were to raise taxes on their constituents in the midst of this massive inflation, if corporations who have suffered for a couple of years under the policies of the government and shutdowns and everything else were to see their taxes go up, we become less competitive in the world and we are going to get rid of those people in offices. The entire United States Congress, or I should say House of Representatives, is up for reelection and one third of the Senate every two years. And there is speculation that most people believe that it's going to be a big election year for Republicans, that the Republicans will control the House and the Senate. So Biden has to figure out, how do I get this passed this year? Because he knows it's never going to see the light of day after this year. Timing is horrible. Inflation is through the roof. Uh, COVID is still a reality for a lot of people. 
in other countries, and uh, we are seeing the fallout with supply chain issues and other things. So on one hand, it's going to damage them long term to raise taxes. But if they don't get it done now, it's not going to happen in the future. So they are saying anything they need to say to make it make you believe that raising taxes is not that big of a deal. And you know as well as I do, it's a huge deal. In a moment, uh, the federal government targeting elections. We're going to talk about freedom of speech and we're going to go after people and who is doing it. It is absolutely terrifying who is going to come after you for misinformation and who gets to decide that. That's coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I uh, want to promote something very quickly. I want to congratulate em- Emily Seardine, who's from Youngtown. She won 100 bucks as a part of our 100 Days of Giving. We are uh, we are on a quest 100 days out from our 100th anniversary here at KTAR News. What an amazing run this radio station has had. And we want to thank the community for allowing us to be in it for so long. So for the 100 days leading up to the 100th anniversary, we are giving away a $100 gift certificate to someone and to a charity of their choice. Emily chose Sun City for Paws Rescue. So she gets a $100 gift gift card and so does Sun City for Paws Rescue. You want to be a part of this? Just text the word 100 to 411-923. That's 100 to 411-923 as we set out on our 100th anniversary coming up. So I want to talk about extremism. This is something that all of us, I think everyone should be concerned about this. I've talked about what goes on in other countries. We can use Russia right now as an example. And are we are we Russia? No, we are not. No, we aren't. Could we be? Absolutely, when it comes to information. The idea that we're going to stop you from saying lies, it sounds great, right? You shouldn't be able to lie. If you lie about COVID-19 and the vaccine, if you put out misinformation about ivermectin or or about hydroxychloroquine, you're going to kill people. So we're going to shut you down and make sure you can't say those things. If you believe the 2020 election was stolen, That is making people lose faith in our election system, and you shouldn't be able to say that. Now, I disagreed with the audit and the way it was run in Arizona, but I absolutely hold a lot of people within the highest regard that were involved in that audit, and they have every right to their opinion that it was stolen, whether I agree with it or not. You have a right to believe in chemtrails. You have a right to believe in Bigfoot. You have a right to believe in any aliens. You have a right to believe in anything or disbelieve whatever you want in this country. And you can blog about it. And you can talk about it. And you can write about it. And you can do all of these other things with it. The Department of Homeland Security has new rules on extremism. They will, according to these documents, the new guidelines on extremist behavior include those who question the fraud of the 2020 election and anyone who questions the regime's talking points on COVID and its treatment, including the mandates. This unclassified document um, talks about domestic violent extremists who are motivated by a range of ideologies and galvanized by recent political societal events in the United States pose an elevated threat to the homeland in 2021. It also said socio-political developments such as narratives of fraud in the recent general election, the embodying impact of the violent breach of the U.S. Capitol, conditions related to COVID-19 pandemic. So they are saying... If you don't agree with the government's narrative, 
you are a domestic terrorist and you're a threat in this society. If that doesn't scare everybody, no matter where you stand, if you are somebody that believes the election in 2020 was a fair win for Joe Biden, if you believe that everybody should be vaccinated and boosted and everybody should have worn masks when they were asked to by the government, you should be as afraid as everybody else because there will be a change in government power and the very same people that you don't like are going to have the same power to tell you what the truth is and what you can talk about. This is, I believe, the biggest threat to this country as we know it, all in the name of fairness. But now let's go with this. The 2020 election, right, was stolen. Can't say it. You're a threat to the society. I want you to hear the White House press secretary talking about 2016. And one of the big steps we've taken and made a decision to take is to declassify information. If you look back at 2014 and frankly, even 2016, when Russia invaded Ukraine and then in 2016, when they, you know, of course, hacked our election here, we did not do that. We did not declassify information. So you've got Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, saying that the 2016 election was stolen. Is she a domestic terrorist? Is she one of those people? Is Hillary Clinton a domestic terrorist? Don't say yes yet. Uh, Is she a domestic terrorist? Because she wrote a book called What Happened, saying that the Russians stole the election from her. Or... Does the former secretary of state, the former senator, the former first lady have an absolute right to write a book and say what her opinion is about the 2016 election? Absolutely has the right. Talk to I I suggest you find someone that's in this country from Russia that's escaped. So any communist country, Cuba, the brown shirts. When you speak against the government, there is information that they will come and find you. And re-educate you. That's what they do. So you've got now the Department of Homeland Security is saying that what they what you say against their narrative, their science, or even call it the science. Let's give them. I'm going to give the government every benefit of the doubt. Every benefit of the doubt. The 2020 election was not stolen. And their data on COVID-19, as much as it changed, was always right on the money and was the advice that the American people should follow. Let's say all of that's true. You have an absolute right in this country to disagree with any administration government narrative that's out there. And if we don't together fight for that, you're going to end up being an enemy of the state. At some point in your life, you will be an enemy of the state because the state, the government, will have an opinion or have information they call science that you disagree with. And when that happens, you become an enemy. So the narrative is not sold as government control. It's not sold as – this is to any country. It wasn't sold in communist countries that way. It's not sold as a negative. It's sold as a positive. We want to save lives, don't we? We don't want people using a horse um, medicine, right? We don't want a horse dewormer being used on people because they read it on the internet. We're just trying to save lives. And if you're the one out there telling people that uh, ivermectin works for COVID-19, you're part of the problem. You're a domestic terrorist because you're killing people. That's how it's sold. 
hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. It doesn't have any scientific basis. And if you're telling people to use that instead of seeking the standard treatments, you're killing people and you need to be stopped. That's how it's sold. I work with a lot of journalists. They do their homework. They are the best at what they do. And they've been, some of them have been doing it for decades. They have an absolute right to report what they learn. But you as an individual also have an absolute right to disagree with your government, just like journalists are supposed to fact check their government, not the other way around. And I, I, the reason why I'm making such a big deal of this is because I truly believe that this is going to be the biggest battle we face is the freedom to disagree and the freedom to print whatever we want and say whatever we want about anything. You're not killing people. This is absolutely terrifying. What we're going to do next is we are going to talk about um, sex education in schools. There is a new poll out that says most parents are against legislation that stops it, even for very young children. We'll get to that coming up in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Nothing like getting rickrolled on a Monday. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time. I want to talk about this poll in just a moment. We know that Prop 208 was found to be unconstitutional in the state of Arizona because it spends more money than is allowed by by law in Arizona. And I will say this very quickly on that topic. If you don't like the fact that there is a limit on how much money can be spent on education in Arizona as a percentage of the budget, um, thank the ballot proposition that was passed in the 80s. So for all of you out there that want to get props, Prop 208, I hate it. But the people that love 208 hate the proposition from the 80s. Well, it alters the Constitution unless you get a two-thirds majority of the legislature, which you're not going to get. It can't be changed. So it killed their Prop 208, which would have dramatically raised taxes on small businesses. So let's get rid of the propositions and let's stick with being a representative republic. I think that's the way everybody knows that work can get done. It's not perfect, but it's better than these props. Um, most Americans oppose laws prohibiting prohibiting elementary school LGBTQ lessons. I want you to hear this ABC report. 62% of the new ABC News Ipsos poll oppose legislation that would prohibit classroom lessons about sexual orientation or gender identity in elementary school. Among those identifying as Republicans, 61% support that type of law compared to 20% of Democrats and 35% of Independents. 622 adults were polled Friday and Saturday. Numbers could be off 4.4 percentage points. Now, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I'm surprised by those numbers. I am. Um, and I'm not surprised by much, but I'm surprised by those numbers, and I'll tell you why. Um, because, first of all, in my mind, it is not anti-LGBTQ at all. I have – I don't have a homophobic bone in my body, and it's none of my business what you do, and I firmly believe that. My biggest problem with this is, first of all, it's not age-appropriate in my mind. And I don't think it's appropriate for the schools to be teaching morality like this. We moved away, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing or a good thing. I'm just giving you an observation. In the 1960s, we moved away from being allowed to use the Bible as a textbook in schools. And what was the reason? Was religious freedom and choosing one religion over another and indoctrination. This is, this is indoctrination. 
This is somebody somebody else using their moral compass and telling your children what's morally right and wrong to do. But beyond that, I think the bigger issue here is American students cannot read. They cannot do math at grade level. We are we are horrifically behind because of covid, even further behind than we were pre-covid. And we were far behind pre-covid. And elementary education is the key to all education. By the third grade, you have to be reading at grade level. Up until third grade, you learn to read. After third grade, you read to learn. If you're not equipped when you leave third grade, you are already at a severe disadvantage for success in education beyond that. Period. There, There isn't an educator out there that disagrees with me on everything else. That can disagree with me on that issue. If you are not prepared to read in third, by the time you leave third grade, you are at a huge disadvantage for learning for the rest of your life. And that's why you see so many high school students that are going on to college and the first part of their semesters are used in remedial reading and remedial math. Because they didn't learn it in the public school system. Going all the way back to their elementary school education. So let's start there. Shouldn't that be? There's another uh, there's a documentary coming out about critical race theory, whether or not you believe that these are worthwhile things. Why wouldn't you make something like that an elective? Well, there are no electives in elementary school because you're not changing classes. But for an elementary school child, why wouldn't the laser focus of all educators be on making sure that those young children knew the basics of reading comprehension, expressing a thought from what they've read, and math skills. Why would that not be the laser focus? And when people say, well, well, it is. No. Well, then the teachers are failing. Well, no, it's not the teacher's fault. Well, whose fault is it? And does it matter whose fault it is? If we are not teaching our children to read, and I mean read well, it's the only thing that saved my life financially. My ability to read And take a test and learn to be an electrician and learn this job. I was a terrible high school student. My choice. My choice. But I was an excellent young student in elementary school. Those skills of reading caught me up when I got older in life and it became important to me. We have got we have got to focus on the cornerstones of education and stop with anything that's not that. Just after 10 o'clock, we've got an update about the Phoenix Police Department shooting, who the shooter is, and why he is the shooter. Next.